0: Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So, without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. Today, I'm excited to welcome a guest I've wanted to have on for quite some time now, Steve Orlando. Steve is super busy right now with a ton of projects ongoing and dropping. Today, we're going to focus on his ongoing Marvel Comics series, The Scarlet Witch. And later in the show, we'll touch on his Mad Cave series, "Exorcists Never Die." Steve, thanks for coming on the show to me with me today. How's things going?
1: Things are going very well. Uh, it's uh, busy, uh, but that's much better than the alternative, you know. And uh, yep. missing in a by a lot of vectors. Uh, that, but that's that's the freelance hustle, you know. So, uh, but I'm excited to be here and excited to take some time to talk. Um, when I'm not doing comics these days, it's just very boring adult things, uh, figuring out my. Figuring out how to plant my new lawn and shit. Now that I just bought a house, so uh, comics—the much more interesting aspect of my life right now.
0: Oh, I I totally understand. We we just moved, so we're we're dealing with all all of the out outdoor stuff all over again. So, um, well, you have a you have a ton of shit coming out right now. Um, I personally been keeping up with Scarlet Witch, and I know the trade for the first five issues drops in like August, right? So. Let's kind of yes. start there. Yeah, I, I, well, mean, I, Wanda,
1: I believe for folks who are looking, I believe it comes out the last week of August, like off the top of my head, the twenty eighth. But that is fully out of out of the ether. So okay, um, but we're we're definitely towards the end of the month. Uh, and I've been waiting, man. Scarlet Witch is one of my favorite things I've done in quite some time, and uh, and I want to I want to hold the trade. You know that that's that's when it becomes even more real.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Wanda is this big character in the Marvel universe, right? Big power, you know, few characters of shape, the landscape across the continuum, kind of as as much as Wanda has. I got introduced to her like in the mid 80s, you know, picking up West Coast Avengers, run at a local gas station. So so I've got some mileage with the character, you know, at this point. But I really, really enjoyed where you went with her. You know, Um, we're kind of taking her away from from that more Avengers, you know, spotlight and placing her in a small town America as a shopkeeper, no less. So first kind of why Wanda? What attracted you to, to her as a character?
1: Uh, I mean, I think Wanda is, and by the way, West Coast Avengers was the first uh, comic I ever bought, actually. Um, nice. Uh, it was West Coast Avengers 16, so you'll, you'll always hear me get excited when someone mention, mentions West Coast Avengers. Um, you know, for me, the thing about Wanda, a lot, a lot of people, of course, gravitate towards her because of her her power, and I understand that. Uh, And I also like her for her power, but not in the way that sounds. I think to me, the story of Wanda is the story of one overcoming one's mistakes, one overcoming the hurdles that life throws at you. Uh, Many times, by the way, which you yourself create. And it's funny because she is uh, phenomenally powerful, uh, to soft quote Aladdin. But at the same time, like comics is a big, bold medium. So even though uh, her personal struggles might have universe-shaking consequences, and ours don't, in a way, I think she's kind of a perfect allegory, even more than many other superhero and cape characters, for what we go through as people. I mean, many of it—it's it, rare to find a person who has had the journey Wanda has. It's not linear. It's not always an upward climb. There's 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 backsliding. There's one step forward, uh, two steps back, and sometimes the reverse. We like the reverse more, uh, but. That to me, perhaps paradoxically, makes her one of the most relatable and most humanistic comic book characters. Even though, of course, you know she can snap and turn the moon into soup, as Darcy says in the book.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and you dropped her kind of as the the curator of the emporium in this small town of Lockhill, New York, which gives me sort of this okay, it's a, it's a weird comparison, but like that that Smallville vibe, you know, not directly, but you know, it, it's populated with. Lots of normal people as opposed to a lot of supers. You know, I kept thinking of the old black and white TV series Bewitched where you have, you know, this powerful sorceress who's dropped into small-town America. So, I mean, obviously very purposeful, but why? Why'd you, why did you use Lock Hill New York and want to put her in that environment?
1: Uh, because I think that the time has come to show that you, know, what Wanda does and who she is, again, is more powerful than just snap, no more mutants, right? Like, she has that power, but the way that she is, the the person she is, is equally powerful in its own way, you know? And, and how do you do that? You put her in situations where she is uh, dealing with problems that are not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to blast it real good, for lack of a better phrase. Right. Um, and you show that, you know, Scarlet Witch is someone who, yes, can go out and, you know, battle the villain of your choice. Um, but she's also someone uh, who can engage with... Uh, more grounded uh, struggles, more 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 day to day neighborly struggles in a way that others uh, m- maybe don't. You know, we say friendly neighborhood Spider Man. This is your friendly neighborhood, which uh, yep. it plays differently in 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 visuals and in power usage and in abilities usage. But in a personal level, I think it's very similar. You know, I don't think many people compare Peter Parker to Wanda, um, but in a way, I almost would, right? Because the the allure, uh, the sort of the prototypical mortal care. Pardon me, Marvel character is that person who no matter what their powers are and their and their and their costumed life is, they have struggles just like you. You know, Peter Parker broke the mold in the 60s because he was, even though he was Spider-Man, you know, he couldn't make rent, couldn't get the girl. And in a way, this book is following on that tradition. Wanda, you know, is phenomenally powerful, but she still has issues. Uh, and she's still there for your issues. I think that. We've seen Wanda, you know, blasting off into into the cosmic and the different realities, and that may happen again for sure. Um, But there's more to being a hero and even more to being powerful and strong than just being able to hit something real good. Uh, This was a chance to show who Wanda is and why she's special beyond her power set. I mean, you see in issue six, which just came out, um, she gets to do plenty of blasting, of course, uh, but... At the same time, her solution and her point of view and perspective after all the things that she's been through is really what saves the day and staves off a massive intergalactic conflict. It's not that she, you know, could she snap her fingers and just brainwash everyone to do what she wants? Probably, right? But that would, that's not who she, even if that that's who she was from time to time, it's certainly not who she is now. And it's not who she is now because she was that person and learned that that's not the way to get it done. It's not the way to get it done for um, a sustainable future. So. I think that the appeal to me was taking this character who has all this power, uh, but then of course to build this setup we have and to show it in unexpected ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and you got this this really fun supporting cast with, you know, Darcy Lewis, um, which kind of brings a that that levity, you know, that with the direction that you kind of wanted to go into. It's one of the things I really enjoyed with the story. And, and there was this um this weird like maiden mother crone kind of st- Of sorts with like Darcy and Wanda and the reintroduction of Agatha harkness Um, so so there's a lot of mentoring going on. It's like an evolution of of Wanda, the the more mature version of the character, where, as you said, you know, she learns from her mistakes. And so this is kind of the next step, you know. Um, Darcy was kind of that that first visitor through the last door, and in a way, is the carefree spirit, I guess, that you know, Wanda never got to be. So, you know, kind of how are you using Darcy and you know, what was important to you about? Kind of including her as a focus, just as as strongly, almost as Wanda, really.
1: Well, I mean, I think you know, when when you have any type of character who who walks in the worlds and realms that Wanda does, uh, you need that humanizing element, and you need that perspective. So, on level one level, that's what Darcy provides us. She's um, she's like us, you know. What's mundane uh, to Wanda is is fantastic to to uh, most mortal people, right? Darcy's there to sort of voice how we might look at things and sometimes that means shock and awe sometimes that means being Wanda's cheerleader uh in a way that Wanda would probably be more you know too humble to be like like, like we have made Wanda sort of uh, I've enjoyed the moments of her sort of lightly humorous and condescending confidence when she's dealing with assholes um but she's still a relatively humble person because she's again she's learned from being the opposite and um but Darcy is doesn't isn't bothered by any of that. She's the one hooting and hollering and telling you the one is going to hand you your ass or like snap and just redefine what an ass is in the first place, right? Uh, and and that makes her a really key part of the book. But the other thing is it's really simple. Like I've said in interviews, it's not a secret. Like I'm kind of trying to write. We're kind of trying to approach this book in the way you would like All Star Superman or like a Superman book because even okay. though Wanda isn't an alien, her power is great, right? And just like writing Superman of the century, if you want to keep it Marvel. Uh, the threats aren't always physical or or energy based ones. They're usually character based threats. But you know, come to when you think of it uh, in that lens, uh, Superman needs a Jimmy Olsen, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 that is kind of the role Darcy fulfills, albeit in a much more sarcastic way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that sarcasm, that levity, um, that tonal shift, kind of infused into the book was awesome. You know, it's far funnier than I typically associate with with stories of Wanda. Right. With lines like be gone full return with necrodomis's rice milk right like that i was like what okay i knew this is going in a totally different direction with stuff like that so
1: well you know like i mean there has to be a little bit right if it like if it if it's and and if it's a little if it gets too dry there's uh i don't know it can feel kind of overbearing the key is to like use the characters for where that fits like Yes, Necrodamus talks like that because when I looked up Necrodamus's past appearances, he just seemed like a like a you know over the top clown. Um, okay. And at the same time, like again, like there's things that Darcy says, and that gets that feeling in there. But Wanda herself is 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 not really. I mean, she's not a jokester. She can get a little one liner in from time to time. Um, but it, to me, like it's always like in Road to Perdition where Tom Hanks is like you have the time you never know if he's joking or not. Uh, it's kind of like she, she, she's figuring out humor in front of our eyes. Um, so because it doesn't fit her to be that, yeah, you got to build the characters around her, uh, that can bring that to the book. Cause that's what keeps it fun, right? Like it's not, we're not full on like MCU action comedy in any way, but like you need the levity to balance out the big stakes in the big moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, which is something that I get lost in with like the, the big cross platform tie-ins and everything, because I, I think it misses those moments. Like you, you introduce Thanos and these cosmic entities, and you you have cosmic entities in, in this book too. Um, but that was what was really pleasant ab- about the way the story was laid out um, was your 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 taking and condensing it to to real human experience. You know that was the relatable aspect that you were talking about. So yeah, I well, mean, thank you. Yeah, I really dug it. Um, kind of having the last door in there as a real trump card for a serial issue narration format because you can bring anyone in and you can switch up the direction kind of everything from pacing to the emotional beats of the story you could carry it on for a single issue for three issues so kind of talk to me about the door kind of where did that idea originate and well we we
1: knew going into the book that we wanted to sort of take a step back from What has become the main style of comic book storytelling in the past, like, definitely, I mean, let's say say 20 years, you know, I mean, like, we, we, we come to expect a single story in a four to five issue arc. And at the time, you know, like, to be clear, like, at the time when that stuff started, that was the change, that was the twist. But now, 20 years on, since stuff like The Authority and, I mean, since decompression became a word, people thought they knew what it meant. Uh, you know, now that's the norm. So we wanted to, like, we didn't want to do a retro book because that has its own pitfalls, but we didn't want to hark back to the time where there was a macro story, but if you picked up any random issue of the book, you were also getting a complete story. Um, And again, like, that's the sort of, uh, when I nod, I, I say Superman, but when I nod specifically to All-Star Superman, it's because that whole book is about him dying, but every issue has its own adventure. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, especially as comics become more expensive than they ever have been, uh, we want to make sure that folks are getting something complete, something they can enjoy, something they can chew on, go back and read. Um, and then, of course, yeah, we cliffhang you into the next month. We're not fools. Yeah. Uh, but we want to make sure folks are getting everything they need, uh, every issue. Because, listen, again, like, times, are, money money can be tight. We want to make sure people are getting uh, a lot in every issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first five issues are out now, Now, um, which will comprise kind of the that first trade. We've been talking about, so it sort of seems like fair game. Um, so, enter Magneto, which is fair to say Wanda has a complicated pass with. So, what can you tell us about, kind of big picture? Obviously, no spoilers here, but you know, kind of how are you thinking of reintroducing these two and kind of using him?
1: Well, I really can't say a lot, other than to say uh, the thing that you just said has never been confirmed or denied in the book, uh, right. and that the answers are hiding in plain sight, and that's really all I can say. Okay, uh, but I will point out that um, Wanda didn't get to say goodbye to Magneto uh, and so regardless of what we're going to explore with the character that showed up at the end of issue 5 and the end of issue 6 um, this is a huge thing for her, you know, and, and she wasn't there, and again, like in a way, this is, I hate to keep making it about Superman, this is a Marvel book, but at the same time, like this is kind of for all her power, right? Not only could she not save Magneto, she wasn't even there. And it is kind of like Jonathan Kent having a heart attack uh, for, you know, all these powers and I couldn't save him. Well, that's her, you know, like she wasn't there. You know, could she have beaten Uranus? We'll never know because she wasn't there. You know, she was, she was occupied somewhere else. She was, you take your pick, but wherever she was, there's only one place she had to be in the entire universe. And that's not where she was. So. Uh, I think there's a lot to unpack there and you want to talk about what leaves Wanda vulnerable. It's not doesn't always have to be a magic proof metal, you know. So, um whether this is Magneto, whether this is someone else appearing as Magneto, whether it's a third option, the point is is that this is the face that can hurt Wanda the most. So what I can say emotionally, uh can hurt her the most. So what I can say is that I mean this is like I mean this is like nitroglycerin for the book. Uh it's going to be a journey for her and she's going to have you know irrational reactions and, and, and emotional journeys that are, are going to surprise people and be hard for her because, you know, when you, when you get, when you finally think you wanted, you know, when she gets that chance to say goodbye or like gets another chance with, uh, with Magneto, um, you know, you leap for that thing sometimes even in irrational ways. So when you come up against someone like the Scarlet Witch, these are the types of ways that you have to engage her and, and challenge her as a writer. I'm not even talking about what the plot is in the book. Um, Cause that that's the vulnerability. That's the weaknesses. And to be, again, like the funny thing is, is that I almost feel that the more powerful a character is on the page, when it comes to like the stats on the trading card, those to me, from my point of view, end up being the most humanistic characters because you have no choice, but to challenge them in human ways. You know, like, I mean, if you're writing a Captain America and I love Captain America is one of my favorite Marvel characters, there are plenty of people like you can focus on the physical fights. And of course, you have to consider their character as well. But at the end of the day, a punch in the face from the right person can hurt him, uh, you know, and things like that. And nothing that, that couldn't hurt Wanda, as we saw in issue four and five. Um, but when the deep pressure points are all based on characters, uh, character and humanity, uh, like. I think that ends up meaning that the most powerful characters are the most humanistic because at the end of the day, it's very hard to come up on someone like Wanda or someone like Jean Gray and just punch them into the ground. You have to be, it has to be the subtle knife. It has to be the slow knife. Like they say in Dune, you know? So it's funny. It's like, it comes all the way around. They're so powerful that you really can challenge them the most grievously in ways that are the most relatable and human.
0: Yeah. I mean, Wanda, the character, kind of defines complicated family. Me, uh, we're leaning
1: we, in, man. Like, but the, like, but uh, so go on. I'm sorry, but yes, without questions, the
0: understatement of the year. Yeah, exactly. You know, we get to see some of those past traumas reintroduced in the first couple of issues. You know, through various characters. Um, and it, when I first reached out to you, I was thinking, you know, about doing that that Pride Month focus. Um, you know, and timing didn't work out. But the recurrent theme in in all of those interviews, that just kept coming up was found family so it feels honestly like it's much the same here you know wanda and darcy and and creating a new family a new nucleus if you will um or maybe i'm just conditioned looking looking to no that.
1: you're not no no i mean i mean call it found family or call it blended family because it's a little bit of both in the case of wanda um yeah. the what what was important to me like again you Look, I'm not going to sit here and act like there are not plenty of people that wish that certain things that happened to Wanda regarding her origins were not the case. Um, That being said, as a creator, uh, all we can do is work with what the status quo is. So we need to find the things that are unique and special. Uh, And to me, it all came into lockstep in the, uh, the issue that Al did of SWORD. It's Magneto's last dance with Wanda before Trial of Magneto. And uh, you know, regardless of what the biological truth is, he just says, "Well, you are my daughter." You know, uh, and as someone who has adopted folks in his extended family, when my, my in-laws' family, uh, to be clear, uh, you know, how many times do we as people act like that's somehow not equitable? Like, like how it's somehow not as good as a blood relation? As a blood relation can not completely fuck you, you know, things like that. So this, you know, we it, it's. It, it's always lemonade, my friend. Like, you, 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 regardless of, of where, what's happened uh, with her origins and things like that, we saw an opportunity. We saw an opportunity for her to be the poster child, the poster character for Call It Blended Family, for Call It Found Family. Yeah. She's got the strange, she's got one of the strangest ones in comics. Yep. But at the end of the day, she still loves them all. And it is still family, regardless whether it's, you know, whether it's her reincarnated kids who were formerly magic constructs that have now reincarnated into different people who have also biological parents that she has to deal with and integrate with, uh, whether it's, you know, her ex-husband making and making a new wife from her brain patterns and then blending her brain patterns into someone that is kind of her daughter and kind of not. I mean, I could go on. Uh, but the key is, is that no matter how weird it gets, um, they're still family, you know? And, and to me that's powerful. And, and in the same way that, um even despite her her might um and her and her failures being catas- like cosmic versus everyday her overcoming them is a real ho- human journey despite how comic book strange her family is it's a very humanistic thing uh to say well this is just this is family you yeah. know it it's like we we we've we've done the strange comics allegory for something that's very very real and to me again that's not a detractor that's an opportunity uh, that that's I mean, that's something that is really, really special.
0: Yeah, I, I'm always amazed um, when I interview people who are handling big two books, especially characters that have 50 plus years of history and what they're able to rattle off in terms of, I don't know how you keep track of all this shit. It's like, to me, it just seems bananas i mean i know you have editorial board right that helps you out with, with that stuff but we do they, but i
1: mean we do a lot of research ourselves i mean edit, edit like our, our our editors are all saints and uh, to be you know to be quite honest there's so many moving parts in a book like we i, I at least and we try to do a lot of the character-based stuff ourselves uh not that they can't look it up and find it out for us but like they have so much going on you know uh mm-hmm. and and also for me at least i love it i mean a lot of us love it we love digging in uh, and finding the nooks and crannies you know so and Wanda's actually coming up next year 60th anniversary of her and Pietro
0: yeah that's crazy
1: they um, look great you know I was on Wonder yeah. Woman when she was 80 as well and she's also looking fantastic
0: it's unfair I mean I'm, I'm almost 50 so yeah I'm falling apart well I always like to make space to talk about co-creators on a project um, sure. so you've you've got uh Sarah Pacelli am I pronouncing that correctly or close uh, yeah.
1: I mean, okay. I, I think it's Sarah, but, you know, she's Italian. Sarah, it's Sarah here. There's there's no
0: worries. All right. Well, they're handling the artwork duties on the project. I, I really enjoyed how the characters are rendered with this, right? There's far less emphasis on trying to make Wanda sexy, right? There are different ways to to be sexy. You know, that could be through confidence. Um, I mean, th- you know, there's, there's plenty of whips. You still have the dream queen running around with the dominatrix vibe going on. Um, but like that sex bot image never quite fit with Wanda to me as a character because she's such a tortured character. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really refreshing. So um, did, how did you work with Sarah or did she kind of run with that? Did you have a a concept kind of visually how you wanted Wanda portrayed or?
1: Um, I knew, well, you know, there were things that were important to me, like, you know, trying to make, making her, giving her curly hair, like she. she in my opinion, probably should have, and she had, did have under George Perez and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I will say, like, part of being a collaborator, whether it's with, an, an, you know, I mean, Sarah is iconic. She's one of the greatest working artists today. Um, but it, it's not about like, whether, I mean, it doesn't matter if I was working with someone who was, it was the first time in a book. Part of being a collaborator is knowing when to step back and, and sort of, and, and as the kids say, knowing your lane. Uh, And that doesn't mean you have to stay there. I mean, you can walk all over your collaborators and a comic will still happen. But it won't be as good as what you'll get when everyone involved, not just your visual artist that you're working with, but the letterer, the colorist and even editorial feels like they're vital and feels like they're respected and part of a team versus just taking orders. So honestly, other than like things that I thought were important for the, the cultural aspects of Wanda's background and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to give the artists I work with free reign. Sarah included, Russell included, uh, Lorenzo Tomatia included, who just did issue six. Same with Carlos Nieto from the annual, um, because I I I I try to give them what I want, which is room to do what I do best. For me, that's writing. Um, but of course, for them, it's whatever their focus is. So, um, I mean, I, we of course talk about the designs and talk about uh, layouts and things when they come in. But um, I do really try to step back as a creator. That's how I try to run uh or or act when I'm part of a team because I do think the work is better. People when they people feel like they're being asked to do their best instead of told what to do, I find that you always get things that are that are more energetic and more alive.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, you kind of laid out a a pretty serious challenging job for Matthew Wilson who's doing the the coloring um cuz you're bouncing around through tons and tons and tons of different environments and still managing to also create those quiet you know, sort of restrained coffee shop moments, right? Where you're pulling back uh, to the the emporium. So that's a lot of back and forth. That seems like a, a navigation nightmare. As as somebody who's sort of an aspiring colorist myself, that, that's a lot.
1: Well, you know, part of it is a conversation. I think that you know, if same with your with Sarah, you you try to find out if there's things that people definitely don't want to do, or that like you know, then you try to avoid those things um some artists just have things they absolutely hate doing and again they're professionals that doesn't mean they won't do them and you can't go there if it's absolutely needed for the story but it does mean if something is 50 50 you you mean maybe you do something that is going to keep them again happy energetic so on and so forth so um yeah it's a lot of different work for matt but matt is an all-star uh he's he's also uh he's also an icon i I was uh, very excited when he came on yeah, And in my mind, at least, hopefully, uh, you know, it, it's it is, uh, it is again, an opportunity that the book does not become redundant. And and but I, <laughs> that's my hope, uh, you know, that we keep challenging him and, and giving him new things. Uh, he certainly hasn't hunted me down yet, but, you know, we have many issues left. So anything could happen.
0: Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hopefully there's there's several more trades popping out with this. OK, it seems like a good spot to take a quick break. Hey, y'all. Mm-hmm. Jimmy recently scored me a signed, personalized copy of Hallow's Eve from Erica Schultz after her interview. You've probably had this problem too. I got this great book, now how do I display this thing? Well, I discovered this great product from Crafty Comics that lets you showcase your treasured comics and they even have options for already slab books too. I got their flex frame, which is amazing as you can customize the backing and it even has interchangeable border colors to coordinate with your space. I opted for neutral gray to match the blue in Mario. You can hang portrait or landscape and it comes with a template to make it easy to ensure that you get it exactly where you want it. To my surprise, my wife, who tolerates my comic stuff, was actually impressed with the overall quality and look. When so if you're looking for the perfect solution to showcase your own collection, visit craftycomics.com online. That's crafty with an I. Use the discount code Yeti5 and get 5% off your order. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, Wanda has always encountered her fair share of demons, both kind of literal and mental. I feel like that's a pretty easy, easy transition to sort of switch gears to another project going on that you've got with Mad Cave, the Exorcists Never Die. Yeah, um, one which hell is of a segue. Yeah, I tried. Um, this thing is not your your typical, somebody dealing with, you know, seven deadly sins. I mean, like, this is fucking literal. You have two protagonists who are dropped right in the middle of squaring off with the big dogs, no preamble, just let's go. So kind of where did this rather high octane idea come from? I'm getting warrior nun vibes myself, but.
1: Uh, well, you would get no argument for me there. I love that book. And I actually really like the TV show. A friend of mine, yeah. David Hader uh, wrote on it. Um, So uh, exorcists never die. First of all, you want, let's, let's talk about the artistic collaborator right away because Sebastian Perez is, I mean, I was like, I, I like went into orbit when I found out that he was going to be drawing the book. I've always wanted to work with him. He does it all uh, b- except for lettering, and I think it shows. The work is incredible. It's super, super kinetic. Um, and that is appropriate because when Mad Cape came to me uh, to develop this idea together, I mean, they had a kernel, right? They said they wanted to do The Raid meets The Exorcist. And, and that's fairly common when it comes to work for hire stuff. So, but they said, well, then you know, they, then they come to you to let it grow, let it germinate. So, um, and as it happens, uh, I, I love, I mean, I love the raid, uh, specifically eco wise. is like one of my favorite action stars, but, uh, I also love exorcism movies. I love the idea. Um, you know, and, and of course in those movies, it's usually framed around a specific faith, but I love the, I don't really subscribe to that, but I do love the idea that faith in general, even if it's faith in oneself, is kind of all you need uh, no matter how intimidating, you know, the, the threat you're facing. Often the heroes of exorcism movies are not necessarily people who are physically strong. They're people who have belief in themselves, or of course their creator, if you are religious, uh, your mileage may vary, but it, it, is, it is about a power that doesn't come from physical strength. And I always really, really enjoy that. Um, and that goes for exorcists never die. Of course they are combat exorcists. Yes, they punch things in the face, but, as we see, it's not as simple as that. they have to truly understand each sin and what they really mean in order to counter them. There's an alchemy uh to the types of angels that they they channel and the powers they use and it's not always the first thing you think of right like it's yeah. and, and 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 through that you find character when they when they battle lust, you know they of course immediately because of their own perceptions and socialization think oh that's you know that's 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 dirty, you know, that's seedy. So we have to counter that with light or something, you know, or, but in reality, that's not what lust is, at least not in the lore of this book. It's, it's creation. So the opposite of creation is nothingness. And that's how they find the counter. So through the fact that they have to actually really analyze what these sins truly mean, uh, yes, they're, of course, they're still doing the punches and the kicks. Um, but what's behind the punches and kicks to make them effective, uh, that to me is where the sort of exorcism type content and philosophy comes in because it's not just about shooting something real good with lightning uh it's it's about channeling the right angels and the right powers and and oftentimes that means really understanding your own self and how you perceive each of these sins.
0: yeah w- uh, which was a really fascinating way to kind of put together your magic language i guess for it um because it, you know it has that rule of opposites that you've been talking about but it's cerebral you know we're not Hey, I'm a fire mage, so let's throw a big fucking fireball at it, you know, all the time, because that's my toolkit, right? Yeah.
1: And um, and by the way, like that may happen, but that if that happens, it's usually, I mean, it it is there. There's always a philosophical. I'm trying not to spill, like spoil the future books, uh, but like, you know, when you um, like the solution for greed, for example, like I I was very very proud of when we get there. I don't think the greed issues come out yet. Okay. Um. Uh. You know. Uh. Or like the solution to the gluttony issue, which I think maybe did come out. Um. Because my comps come. I mean, for folks who are like, oh, Orlando doesn't know when books come out. Like comps usually come like a month after a book hits. So don't come for me for this, folks. There's plenty of other reasons. <laughs> uh. But um. You know, once they're weakened, maybe you do end up getting to blast them with your fireball or like your water pressure hose. But if they're, if they're vulnerable, it's because of how you've done it. Um, you know, the gluttony issue is specifically like, cause I do think it just came out, you know, they, to, in order to make gluttony vulnerable, they have to accept that something is not going to be theirs. They're going to have to turn down something uh, and turn down his offers and turn down when of course, all he wants you to do is get more, you know? Um, and so, yeah, like I, I that to me is, is how we go above and beyond what you've already seen in the genre. Um, and you mentioned my magic language. It is, um, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to note that the third inspiration between the raid and the exorcist, and now we'll say it is actually the movie equilibrium. Like the only reason that they weren't called God katas is because it felt, I felt like it'd be too obvious that I was referencing gun kata. That's why they're God flows. I also, uh, started doing yoga over the, uh, the pandemic. So I just felt like flow felt like a good word, but I mean, the gun kata, and the god flow i mean those are those are those are literary cousins you know uh so so that is definitely an influence as well
0: well not a not to ask you to give away anything here but um you know having read through the first issue there uh we've got sloth which was in my mind a particularly difficult one to start off with um is there is there one that has been the most challenging that thus far that
1: uh, I mean, it's all challenging because if we're, I mean, and that, I don't mean to like have that sound like a cop out, but I mean, nothing is easy. Cause if it was, you guys aren't getting our full thought process and our full work. Like sure. That being said, lust was my favorite. Uh, and I can't believe, I mean, I think, I believe I sent you the Lust issue, which was is issue two. Um, you know, I just uh, the fact that we got away with them literally like lust being a face inside a giant like uterus room was extremely pleasing for me.
0: Okay, cool. You talk uh, about it. I I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to give that away, but you did, so it's all good. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was
1: very very pleasing to me. And yeah, that was the thing. Like the you know I we're I'm a Grant Morrison guy, so of course when I feel realized we could get away with an issue where when you punch one of these demons, they like puke out little babies from their zits. Uh, I was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh but at the same time that's the thing like you want to assume uh, i mean that's where they first realized that it has to be nothingness like in, in yes there's that there's all the innuendos and all the all, all that but at the end of the day um it is that lust creates things so the the only offense that can that can uh, go around that has to be something that is nothingness based and that's the type of stuff that i've, I've been very very proud of in the book and of course like when you toss this to Sebastian, uh, he turns it into something extremely gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the armor that they're wearing, I thought I thought was great. Um, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we're moving away from what you classically would associate with, you know, the exorcist, either like an old priest, or, you know, robes, this kind of thing. I mean, these two walk into a Ren fair and they've got the place on lock. I mean, it, it, was, it was really clever. So I like the way um, that was presented a lot. Oh, thank you
1: very much i mean like I, and, and it's only going to get wilder like i'm very excited for everybody to see uh when we finally meet wrath and things like that at the very end it, listen i'm extremely extremely proud of that book i i was happy that mad cave reached out and by the way this is one of uh, the beginning of a beautiful beautiful friendship with me and mad cave like there's a lot more coming
0: okay i mean speaking of stuff that's coming um uh, we don't have time to get into everything but i wanted to get in a quick question about astonishing iceman because that's coming out in august kind of with the wanda trade i I think is that right it's august uh
1: well l- uh, let me cite my previous answer as to as, as to why i don't always know when books are coming out um uh but i can also look it up as you talk if it's not august it's oh it's already july so it is august you're totally right i was like my mind was still in june my apologies but yes oh, so we, we do launch next month and uh i mean Again, it's really hard to talk about. I just wish the damn Hellfire Gala issue would come out so that it was okay, sure. out of the context. But here's what I'll say: um, you know, mutants are um, the stressors and the stakes are higher than ever for mutant kind, and it's not safe for them to be around each other. Um, and the world is saying, "You can't be here. You don't belong here." The thing about Iceman that I think is a, makes him an especially good fit for this era, the fall of X era is that he's a class clown, right? And a class clown breaks the rules, and that seems like relatively low stakes. But the thing behind that is that you will do what you need to regardless of rules to get a laugh out of someone, AKA make them happy, make them uh, feel good. Um, so when the world says you can't be here, you can't be a hero anymore, you can't be around other mutants, Iceman is the first one to say, cool, I'm gonna do that twice as much, you know, because he, he's almost allergic to the rules. So here that's writ large in a global scale, Uh, which is perfect for Iceman, someone who has been getting more and more powerful over the years. Um, And like, I am dancing around what happens at the Hellfire Gala, but at the same time, like... You have to. (laughs) I am like, this is the perfect setup specifically for Iceman because he has been a solo hero before. He's being a solo hero now. And it's at a time when that is more dangerous than ever. But when it's more dangerous than ever and the whole world says you're not allowed to do this, that's when Iceman's at his best. So he's going to be around making problems for Orca's. Uh, and uh, he's got his guy in the chair, Romeo. Uh, and, and I'm really, really excited for to that. And speaking of my collaborators, uh, Vincenzo Caruto is incredible on the interiors and Jesus Saez on covers. That's like a bucket list pick for me. So I've been, I continue to be very lucky.
0: Well, and you, you can actually talk all about this one. You know, you have got um, Sainted Love, which was recently funded um, on Kickstarter with Vault, uh, which is a queer, sexy, time traveling romance. You know, tell me about that one.
1: Well, it's funny, we pitched Sainted Love before, I mean, well, I shouldn't say before it was uh, topical because folks are always trying to erase queer culture. Um, But it's more topical than ever now. Uh, And and so this came about, um, I mean, I wanted to do a book that was both uh, exciting, like weirdly, like inspired by the original Doctor Who, where it was like, it was science fiction, it was adventure, but at the same time, it was casting light on aspects of history uh, that, that maybe the, the audience didn't know about. And I'm talking like going back to the 60s. It's yeah. pretty much a straight adventure show now, and I still love it, by the way. But like, to go back uh, to the original goal, that's kind of the goal of Sainted Love, to thrill folks, to, I mean, look, it's, a, it's, it's an action erotica book, so to turn them on. Um, but at the same time, uh, to go places and, and unveil these little pockets of our own history as LGBTQ plus folks, uh, that, that maybe folks don't know about. And even if you're not in the community to show folks that, you know, to show you that you know, we've always been here, we've always yep. been around. So having two time traveling dudes who are madly in love and casting the romance across a romance across the entire time stream, um, you know, their enemy is someone who's, who's, who think, who is trying to erase any presence and any, any evidence that, that, that we were part of the, the great human story. And it's, it's a David and Goliath story. It's, it's two men against an entire society. Um, but at the same time, again, that feels more topical than it ever has been. And we're going to go to the 50s. We're going to go to the Roman times in the first three issues. And hopefully a lot more places after that as we, as we continue on and on. Um, and again, like outside of everything I just said, working with Geopoda, we have one of, the, one of the sexiest and naughtiest Studio Ghibli comic books I've ever seen. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of Geo. But I'm also extremely lucky to have him as a collaborator. He is a killer. Uh, it's one of the most gorgeous books that I've ever been part of. Uh, and look, I just can't wait to see it. You know, we were we were super, super overfunded. Uh, we hit all of our stretch goals. I'm, we're all extremely thankful for that. Now we got to dig in and make this book, uh, finish it up and get it to print because I just can't wait for people to see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's great to see more queer characters in history um, and, you know, either fiction or, you know, it actual characters you know josh trujillo has got the uh was it washington's gay general that's coming out next month that, yeah. that i'm looking forward to that one that looks that looks like a lot of fun so what else are you seeing out there that's inspiring you right now you said you don't have a whole lot of time to read so
1: i don't and it and it sucks i mean like but but i still make time uh right now i'm, I'm weirdly i'm currently reading the uh of all things the alex Gardner and ashley woods metal gear solid two sons of liberty adaptation Okay because um, I went to see video games live, which is a concert series, and I got to reading about the I never played Metal Gear, but I got to reading about the stories and I got to read about this idea that Hideo Kojima uh, apparently frequently is very prescient about uh what's to come in like the next decades when it comes to the plot of his games and when I read that Sons of Liberty was about like alternative facts and things like that, um I was really really excited so i'm about I, I, I'm just digging into that um, along with um what else did I get? I just bought Monarch Stark's Star Stalker, which is a Howard Chaikin Marvel book from the 70s. Okay, yeah. um, And I'd be remiss not to mention as well things like The Bear, which I think, I mean, everybody's talking about that show, but I think it, it, it is incredible. Um, I just did that, and I just re-watched Two Detectives Season 2 to see if, absent the expectations of being like Season 1, it was enjoyable uh, instead of a letdown. And I must admit, I found it, I did still find it like Pulp Camp, like the the way characters talk, but I did find it enjoyable. So I I feel like it was worth a reassessment.
0: Well, I'm closing things out now with a quick message about kind of addressing mental health in comics. We've all seen how, you know, the the sadness of, you know, the comics broke me. Hashtag spread, you know, with and writers are now going on strike too. So now more than ever, creators need to carve out that time to take care of themselves, you know, in, in an industry that at times could be brutal. So, you know, any words of advice uh, from your experience for them? You know, how do you balance all this stuff and keep your sanity?
1: Uh, I mean, I could use some advice, uh, (laughs) but um, I will say this, like from the time I was very young, when I first started trying to learn the craft, my my mentor told me to treat this like a job or it'll never be one. And at the time he meant write every day, uh, which I still try to do. uh, And I have done since I was 12. Um, but I think the other side of that is, is that like, if you had an, off- any job that was not comics, you would go home. Right. So I will say, I don't have a perfect answer because I work seven days a week, usually at least 10 hours a day. Um, but that being said, I do have a hard shut off. Uh, and, 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 and even that, like, I know that when a certain time comes, unless something is like truly on fire, I'm not going to say that I haven't done an all-nighter or something. Um, but at, when, when at all possible, I try to check out, at like seven at night, I then know that I have like three to four, even five hours to spend. You know, do family stuff and things like that. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that makes a big difference. And you know, if if something comes in that is like you need to answer now, where the world's going to burn, yes, of course I'll answer it. But I usually after that I'll leave things for tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, and and that is that is a good skill to have, and I think it's a necessary thing to.
0: Well, Steve, where can people find you online? Where would you prefer that they try to find you online? It's all crazy right now.
1: Um, I'm on, I mean, I'm on everything. If you want to see if I'm on something, I'm the Steve Orlando. So like I'm this, because it used to be easy because I was just on Twitter and Instagram, but now we're waiting to see if Threads or Blue Sky takes over Twitter before we can put a bullet in it. Um, so on, on, all of those things, uh, I am the Steve Orlando, uh, at the Steve Orlando on Twitter at the Steve Orlando on Instagram and also on blue sky and on threads. And those are all great ways to interact with me. I keep my Facebook to myself. Uh, I, I don't even know how to, I don't know if you can, people can message me on Facebook cause I, I was cursed by a wizard in 2017 and I'm very bad with technology. Um, but I will probably not respond, uh, if it's a business related thing or work related thing on Facebook, cause that is like my one little Haven uh for personal stuff however everywhere else i'm very reachable so i would love to hear from folks and feel
0: free to reach out oh good for you for carving out at least a little space for just yourself we're trying yeah it's a good thing well steve appreciate you coming on the show to hang out with me today
1: i'm happy to be here
0: yeah well folks scarlet witch is hitting shelves monthly um you can pick it up catch up on it it's a great book i love the direction steve's been taking with it and selfishly want to see a lot more let's get to issue 50 um you can grab the trade in August. Make sure to look for Exorcist Never Die uh, from Mad Cave. And don't miss the new adventures of Bobby Drake in the Astonishing Iceman wherever he happens to go and whatever you happen to do with it.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. this,
0: this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.